0: Hey humans, welcome to Pound Around, the official Uppercut podcast. Here we'll be focusing on video games, fandom, pop culture, and how they all interact through the internet. I'm your host, Jessica Howard, and this episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, So, this episode, if you've read the description, is all about the wholesome games discourse that has been taking place over Twitter the last couple weeks. Um, kind of died down a little bit now, but... Um, We had some really good conversations with some developers about the discourse, about Wholesome Games, and we also talked to one of the organizers of the Wholesome Games Showcase, and we're really excited to share those interviews with you. So it's going to be a slightly different format, and then on top of that, this episode is actually going to be two episodes. The interviews ended up running a little bit longer than we thought they would, and so we have four interviews total. We have two in each episode, and this is the first one. So, in this episode, we have two different guests. The first guest is actually going to be having a conversation with Ty. So, Ty is doing the first interview that you hear. Um, And their name is Doc. You can find them on Twitter at DocSquiddy. And you might know them from their work on Audios, Hardspace Shipbreaker, and Paratopic. Uh, They're a narrative designer and had a lot of interesting things to say about the concept of wholesome games. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to toss it over to Ty and Doc for that first interview. Hope you enjoy.
1: So to start off, do you mind just kind of like introducing yourself and telling me a little bit about, you know, you and the work that you do slash have done in the games sure, industry? Sure.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm Doc Burford. I uh, used to be an internet commenter. And then I graduated <laughs> i i uh, got the attention of some people at some various video game websites like Kotaku. Um, they let me write about how games work for a really long time um, mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of a lot of the games reading I've done is isn't how games work. it's more like you know here's a guide or here's a cool you know news piece or trivia or whatever um, but I was like interested in like. Because I came from a, a film school background, and, and we think about like you know how color and lighting and camera moves affect us and have like impact on us. Like I, I studied propaganda in home school, so knowing that the mechanics of art can influence us was really interesting to me. So I spent a long time developing my background, just writing about games and how they work and what that work does to us. Um, and and it's partly because I was just really hungry to read that kind of writing, and I wasn't getting much of it but that got someone's attention and that person gave me a job doing a lot of work that is under a whole lot of lock and key um it was essentially functioning i'm allowed to say this as a consultant so what i would do is i would go to like big triple a studios and they would you know ask questions about their game like how can we make our game better how can we convince people you know like to keep playing our game how do we avoid some of the problems we're facing so i I started consulting on games and trying to help people make their games better and i was pretty good at it um but uh it's not consistent work and eventually i needed some other kind of work i ended up losing my home and uh things weren't great so i ended up uh working on a tiny little horror game that got some attention which got me into the room with uh, ID at Xbox. And they said, hey, we would like you to help us make, uh, or or, sorry, they said, what do you want to make, basically? And I said, well, I want to make a little game about a pig farmer who's decided he doesn't want to get rid of bodies for the mob anymore. And they went, that's a really weird pitch. And I went, yeah, it is. Um, And then, you know, a little bit later, after COVID and emergency surgeries and everything else, uh, we shipped a weird little game called Adios, which is currently 96%. Positive on uh, on Steam right now with like three hundred reviews, so people seem to like it. So basically, I'm a weirdo who is really obsessed with the technique of making games beyond sort of the typical, you know, stuff you can find on like YouTube or whatever. Um, coming from my weird film background, that's me. I'm, I'm obsessed with process.
1: <laughs> nice. I am excited. I bought audios. I haven't played it yet, but I'm excited to uh get to it when I eventually burn my brain out on Mass Effect.
2: That's fair. I'm I'm uh I jumped back into Mass Effect last night and have just been playing an absurd amount of it. Uh yeah, I I would love to know what you think when you finished it because again, as somebody obsessed with process, one thing that really Excites me is when people play something and they say, Hey, this is what it made me, you know, feel and do and think. And I can, you know, match that up with like what my intent was. And if I see, Oh, there's a difference here, there's friction here, it's like, What did I do that caused that? Or how can I achieve my desired effect? Because, like, the goal when we make art, right, everything we do is we have a decision. Nothing is like arbitrary unless you're maybe a bad artist. But, like, you know, really good artists are very deliberate. One of my favorite poetry teachers told me that right she was like the thing about poetry is you're essentially using a pair of tweezers to put every single individual word in place to be as like to create sentences that are as perfect as possible um and that's that's really what any kind of art is 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 us as artists going how do we make decisions that are you know interesting right there's always a reason somebody does something and if I can get better at my reasoning, I can make better art. That's my goal, right? Because I want to make things that matter to people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that rules, personally. Uh, I don't, I'm more on the crit side than the making side, but, I mean, that makes sense to me. I think that's kind of part of what the crit is, right? Is we, like, tearing the thing apart to, like, look at its all its little pieces, so...
2: Yeah, and, and when I get criticism like that to read, I'm thrilled, because I... I don't get enough of it. I, I I feel like a lot of the crit I read kind of got messed up by um, Kieran Gillen's work uh, a long time ago. Like, I, I like Kieran Gillen. I think he's a great writer. But he created this idea of the new game's criticism, which was, uh, your criticism should be a travelogue, and it's really more about you than the work itself. Um, you know, and I'm obviously opposed to that. As, as Well, not, like, opposed, but, like, I obviously don't get a lot of value out of that because the player having an experience is useful, but maybe not maybe not as much as understanding why the game is doing things. Like, using the game as sort of a Rorschach test to, you know, think about yourself is a, a valid piece of self-reflection, but it's not necessarily meaningful criticism because it's not saying anything about the work itself. It's talking about yourself. And we've seen so many journalists or, or crit, crit, blah, 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 critics do that for so long that it it's kind of disheartening as somebody who wants to see, you know, like <sighs> wants to see games get better because if we just sit there and we go this game made me feel this and that's really interesting but we don't understand why the game made us feel that way and how we can get better at doing it then the medium can't progress. It stagnates. You know, there's that that old quote uh see, like like Follow not in the footsteps of the wise, instead seek what they sought. If you just copy what already exists, you're never going to get there. But if you look at what they're chasing, you can make better stuff. So for me, I see criticism way to educate and improve.
1: Um, so I guess getting kind of back to the wholesome games stuff. Um, what's your like experience with slash like, perception of the wholesome games movement?
2: Uh, I would say that my immediate gut reaction was like, oh, this is gatekeepy. Which, which probably isn't, you know, the intent, right? But that was sort of the, the knee jerk reaction because over the years, especially every E3, you get a bunch of critics who pop up and they go, ugh, games are violent again. You know, this is, uh,. That, you know, this is oh, games should be you know more things than just violent. Key to this is that none of them ever like really go in depth about like what makes for an exciting, you know, non violent game, and they mm-hmm. also tend to ignore all of the games that are non violent and really cool, like racing games or sports games. In fact, the same people often you know complain about violent games are then like, oh, rolling my eyes, I don't want to see FIFA, right? Which brings you know lots of joy to billions of people around the globe. Like and isn't violent i mean it can be but that's you know hooligans um it's just <laughs> a, a certain kind of person suggests that where games are at is um like there's something inherently wrong with games doing the things they're already doing and i don't i don't think that's necessarily true i think the suggestion that a non violent game is um like, like that a nonviolent game is inherently superior in a moral way than a violent game isn't accurate, right? I don't want to spoil audios for you since you said you haven't played it yet, but, like, you know the premise. There's a guy mm-hmm. who literally helps the mob dispose of bodies. The threat of violence lingers throughout the game, but the core conflict between these two people is whether a person who has done bad can do good. So for me, I see my game as being positive in its morality, um, not because the characters are bad people, but because the question of redemption or doing something right or forgiveness, you know, those questions are the core of the game. My, my favorite artist of all time, Andrei Tarkovsky, really famous movie director, made a bunch of weird Russian movies that are way too long. Um, I mean, I, I, I say that, but I, I like them. Um, and when he was talking about his process in his book *Sculpting in Time*, he said, "And you gotta understand, he's a super like he he was in Soviet Russia in the nineteen sixties and seventies, uh, and eventually left because they didn't like that his movies didn't have like overt themes." Mm-hmm. Um at the beginning of his book he actually talks about this he's like yeah i had somebody be like yeah i went to a, you know i'm i'm an engineer here in moscow and your movie is garbage because i didn't understand the point point.'" and then he, he contrasts it with other letters he received where somebody was like you know you transported me back to when i was a little girl staring at a fireplace waiting for my mother to come home you know like he knew exactly what he was doing. And he's also this sort of deeply religious Russian Orthodox guy. So when he, he, he sort of lays it all out, he says, the primary purpose of art is not to convey a point. It's to prepare you for death. That's the you know, very Russian way of saying it. But you know, it was something like, the goal is to harrow a man's soul, preparing him for, for death and rendering him capable of turning to good. That was his, his goal, right? He wanted to create work that would uplift the people who inter- interacted with it. So it wasn't about just, you know, here's the lesson, right? This isn't Aesop's Fables. This isn't art for children. It's it's literally like, how can I depict complicated and nuanced people who are dealing with powerful feelings, in, in sometimes in camera shots that have no dialogue? Like a person walking home and discovering their house on fire and collapsing to their knees in profound grief he is giving us this as a way to harrow us to literally give us a way to deal with our lives to make us capable of becoming good that's that's what his goal is it's a very noble goal um you know and you can you can debate about like do people actually need that Blah 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 you can do that but to me that's always been kind of inspiring as a person who's not normally inspired by much, like that somehow connected with me in, in a way that a lot of discussion about art hasn't. So I you know I sit here and and I think about all these people who are saying violence in games is bad. It's, it's very simplistic binary from people who ought to be better critics than this, who ought to, you know, know that art can be about complicated things and should be about complicated things. And they're just going, oh, but we want to have, you know, like, a pastel game with like nothing is wrong. Everything is fine. Everything is good. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. I play a game called dragon quest builders that actually got me through one of the toughest times of my life. The composer of the came is uh, not a good person. He He's like a Holocaust denier. Right. But before I even knew that I was playing this game that was cozy and comfortable and warm and it, Gave me what I needed emotionally to get through a really difficult time in my life. A time that would require me ultimately to need trauma therapy. That game is what kept me going. And then right after that, I played Death Stranding, which is, you know, a game with like people with skeleton faces and monsters that are trying to kill you. That game brought me to the edge of tears and also helped me heal because it's fundamentally a game about love and connection, even though there's some really dark shit in it. So every time I see this kind of imperious, like, games can be better than they are because they contain challenging imagery, I'm like, hold up. Yes, games can be more diverse in their, like, the things that you can do, and they should be, but I don't think this is the right way. So because of that, I've made several games. And one of those games, the most recent being Adios, one of the things I did was is I sat down and I went, okay, what kind of verbs do I want to have in this game? I want to prove to people that you can make compelling games and do interesting things. So, you know, you can play horseshoes. You can talk to a person. You can milk goats. These are things you don't normally do in video games. I mean, you can probably play horseshoes in certain games, and you can definitely talk to people in games. But, like, I tried to exp- create an experience that you wouldn't normally have. But because I also wanted to prove... That while all this is valid, violence isn't invalid. The game is about this difficult and sad topic. It, it is about violent people. And one of the characters who comes out of this game is so profoundly affected by the events of the game that I have his entire game worked out. And it is literally him asking the question you know, can I ever be a good person? Can I ever put more good into the world than I took out of it? Again, it's, you know, these games for me are are deeply moral experiences despite having this sort of challenging and tough substance matter. So I've always felt that the wholesome discourse, when people say, oh, games, you know, shouldn't be violent, you know, it's like, yes, we should make things that, you know, everyone can appreciate. The, the industry should be so diverse that anyone could come to video games and find something to love. And not everybody wants, you know, action shoot bangs. I get that. But to, to sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater, to say that all of this is bad, it feels like a step too far for me. And it seems to come from a place of sort of a, a misguided moralism. And the, th- the thing about the word wholesome itself is it's inherently moral. Like, cozy is not moral. There's no there's no moral aspect to it. A game about, you know, like, a bunch of people sitting around a fire after a hard day, that can be cozy. I, you know, canoed once um, on a 50-mile trip. And one day, the uh, the storm was so bad that the water kind of came up over the gunnels, and like our boats were sinking. So we pulled ashore, found a campsite, set up our tents, and basically all of us collapsed in bed at about 1 PM, which normally we'd gone several hours beyond that. But we were just so exhausted, we fell asleep. And that was one of the best nights I'd ever had in my life. Just I slept way longer than I ever had before. I was completely exhausted, but I felt snug and cozy in my sleeping bag in my tent level of rain poured outside so cozy i think is inherently a positive thing but it's not a moral thing there's no you know discourse on it but when somebody says wholesome wholesome has a, a moral component to it wholesome says this is like if it's if it's not within this category of wholesome it becomes unwholesome so it's sort of an implicit judgment on anything outside of this And growing up in a deeply sort of conservative religious environment, I saw that weaponized a lot. Um, You would have people who sort of position themselves as the arbiters of what is and isn't, and they often use the word wholesome too, but it was, you know, this is or is not wholesome, and then suddenly that would give them power over everybody else to gatekeep. And they would often turn this into what I personally dislike, is now immoral as opposed to this doesn't align with the morals that we as a a culture group or whatever have all agreed are moral. So you, you end up with somebody going, you know, I don't like, you know, this actor, or I don't like this style of music. And suddenly that becomes unwholesome. You know, there were, there were people who were like, Oh yeah, our church says that dancing is bad, but we like square dancing. It's wholesome. But Other forms of dancing are bad. And, you know, once you get out of that and you kind of get deprogrammed to realize that's all brainwashing, it's like, oh, this is all just arbitrary lines based, you know, created by people who are constantly trying to shift power dynamics in their favor. And and not everyone's trying to do that. I think the goal behind wholesome games isn't that. But it's, you know, another data point for me, another part of where I'm coming from when I hear the word wholesome is. That's an inherent implicit judgment on things that fit in the category or things that fit outside the category. So the other day when I saw a tweet of somebody saying, Here's a list of what the the wholesome games people say is wholesome versus not wholesome, it's um you know, it was kind of uncomfortable to see because somebody could look at that list and go, Hey, you know, Doc, your your game Adios isn't that wholesome because it features Seven, like, it doesn't match up with many of these, these you know, points, right? And that's not, I, I don't think that's how, you know, the wholesome games people intended it to be. But I've seen this mechanism occur before where somebody goes, Ah, it's not on the list. It's not wholesome. Like, at some point, someone is going to do that. So if we, we have this term that says some games are moral and some games are immoral, someone is going to come along the line and say... And I'm the one who gets to decide what that is. And if you like immoral games, there's a problem with you. And sometimes you don't even need people to do that. I, I tweeted about how uh, Garrus Vicarian from Mass Effect is a fascist uh, because it's funny to me. I, I have friends who really like him. And I think it's really funny that they're like big A cab types. And then you're like, remember how Garrus says that he quit the police because they. Wanted him to adhere to procedure and not do extrajudicial killings. Isn't that kind of weird? Because it's fun to annoy my friends sometimes. Like, it just is. I I don't know how to put it. Like, we all, a bunch of us rib each other about a bunch of different things.
1: I'm literally it, writing a you know, listicle for uppercut right now. That's like this, but at everyone. So I feel you
2: a hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's like. I, as I was playing the game last night, you know, I I think when I first played this game, I was still pretty conservative in my politics because I'd been raised that way, right? I just didn't know any better. Um, I mean, I played the game before Obama became president. And the first time Obama ran for the presidency, I was still in this deeply conservative, like, that's how recent it is, right? I was still in this deeply conservative culture that said, hey, he's got a D by his name. That means he's evil and is trying to destroy America. You know, that's what I was taught. I wasn't like some ardent, like, you know, super anti-Obama guy. I was just like, the night he got elected, I was like, oh, no, is this bad? This seems like it could be bad. And it turns out that, well, he's a lib and he does drone strikes. So, sure. But also Obamacare was really good, and it's part of the reason I'm still alive. So, you know. As I went to college and started talking to people and started, you know, realizing that there's a whole world out there. You know, I got like uh, one of my screenwriting teachers wrote the movie Black Klansman and was a activist, you know, and being exposed to people like that and realizing that maybe the super conservative, anti-abortion, anti-gay people that, you know, tried to tell me the whole world was out to get me were wrong, um, you know like beginning to meet other people, you know, introduces, expand my horizons allowed me, I think to become a better person. So I didn't really question Garrus being kind of a bad dude. Um, during, during the events. One, I, I, I kind of vaguely got that he was wrong, but I didn't really get why. And then as I've sort of begun my own journey of, of learning what it means to be a good person and how to treat the, you know, I, I again, I never did anything growing up that I, th- I look back on. And I'm like, oh, that was bad. Like I never went out of my way to harm anyone or anything like that. I mostly just kept to myself and was like, ooh, I'm going to avoid certain types of people because I hear they're bad. Because a big part of conservative culture is trying to cut you off from the world around you so that you think everyone is bad. Um, and as I was exposed to more people, it's like, oh, they're normal human beings. Every single person is worth loving, right? Except cops. (laughs) Because I found out that cops are tools of capital designed to pretty much lie to everybody about why they should be allowed to hurt people. And as I come back and I play this thing, you know, we have lines from Garrus like, my dad wants me to do things by the book and he hates specters because they have a license to kill. I think it's really cool that you have a license to kill. And I started to realize the reason a lot of people really like Garrus is because... He makes them feel good because he's trying to suck up to you because he wants you to help him with the judicial or extrajudicial murders. Garrus is actually a bad person. And the thing is, his arc in the game is about breaking out of that. Like, literally, his arc in the game is hey, Garrus, that's wrong. (laughs) Like, Shepard literally gets to say that. And as if you talk to him a lot, he kind of grows as a person. So while my friends are ribbing me about Ashley, I'm ribbing them about Garrus because. Ashley has a similar arc where she starts out with some really objectionable views. But if you talk to her and you spend time with her, you can be like, hey, Ashley, that's wrong. And she'll be like, you know what? You're right. That is wrong. And I shouldn't do that. So, you know, there's this ribbing back and forth in my friend group that is leading to, like, in the events of Mass Effect 2, Garrus absolutely rejects all the stuff you told him about why fascism is wrong. Whereas Ashley is like, Shepard, I can't believe after all that shit you told me about how racism is. Yeah, I love she's like she's like, You joined the Cerberus. What the fuck is wrong with you? Exactly. Like Ashley, even though she doesn't have a lot of dialogue, and I get the impression that the people who wrote her on, on two and three only really saw that kind of initial slice of her and so kind of made her kind of like that. Even then, there's still this degree of like Ashley has at least figured out not to be racist garris did not figure out not to be fascist he just immediately went back to fascism as soon as he thought he
1: yeah garris is literally just like i'm gonna be fucking batman but not in the sense that i'm gonna help morden protect his free clinic for the plague but in the sense that i'm gonna murder these gangmen
2: mm-hmm. <sighs> and there there are people that are arguing with me on twitter all day and have been for about a week uh saying that i'm totally wrong totally don't get the the game one person said oh clearly you've never played it and i was like the screenshots you're quote tweeting are screenshots i took last night <laughs> i've played the game like eight times trust me i, I know all about this game like
1: i love when people say that it's yeah it's so funny it's Especially because cause they, they always say it about like huge rpgs where it's like people say that about me and persona 5 and it's like i've put like 200 hours into that game Oh wow! I
2: wow, know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I played Royal for the first time last year, and it was really good. It actually helped me finally get into JRPGs. It was one of the several games. Yakuza uh, Seven also really helped. So I, I love what I played Persona, at Persona Five. It, it really meant a lot to me to actually be able to play it and to kind of go, oh, now I now I get the genre and I'm into it. Um, super looking forward to uh, Nocturne when it comes out here on Steam soon.
1: Oh, yeah, that's, like,
2: very soon. Like, the end of the month, I think? Like, next week? Yeah, so like I think maybe so. Maybe the week after. I don't know. It's really soon. But, um, you know, it's, it's interesting how if you were to say, show someone Star Wars, right? And you're like, look, Anakin Skywalker killed a bunch of children. People are like, yeah, that sucks. Then you go, hey, Garrus wants to be able to kill a bunch of people, and he does, and he actually ends up leading a bunch of people who followed him to their deaths. People are like... I can't believe you would say this about my good friend Garrus. The <laughs> difference is, I think Brandon Keener is really charismatic, and uh, Hayden Christensen isn't. No one roots for Anakin at all through his entire story, and they all know how he ends up. He's just kind of like an annoying brat. Garrus is never an annoying brat. Garrus is like, well, he is actually. Garrus really... is
1: your homie, though. Garrus is always positioned yeah. as your as your bro.
2: Mm -hmm. like at the very start of the game he's still praising you but there's this lingering like he literally has lines that are like I'm praising you because you don't have to obey the rules and that's cool it's like um when I was in high school like I was a senior and I was about to graduate and I had these kids who were like you know incoming freshmen who thought I was really cool because I was slightly older than them and had slightly more responsibilities on like sports team or whatever like you know they didn't really understand what they wanted at that point they just saw someone who did something that they wanted to be able to do and didn't really understand responsibility so they just thought it was cool garris is like that he's like this this teen who doesn't really get what's going on and then in the second game it's like he was written by somebody who thinks the punisher is cool like like a cop who wears a Punisher badge without realizing that's the Punisher literally a hates line cops. that
1: I have in this listicle.
2: Oh, that's is fantastic! That,
1: is that he's every cop who has a Punisher sticker on their car?
2: Right. That's that's what he is. Like that's how he sees himself, or at least how the game sees him. And this is proven as a as a friend pointed out to me last night. This ends up getting proven in this. You know how Mass Effect Two is like, oh, we have this, you know like, loyalty mission that we have to do, and if we do it, you know, the character will probably live unless you make the wrong choice at the final mission. In the final Mm -hmm. mission, Garrus, best known for leading his entire squad to their deaths, uh, is one of the characters who will succeed if you give him a squad to lead. Like, that's how you keep him alive, is by letting him lead the squad. (laughs) And it's like, okay, so the game is implicitly saying in its mechanics That actually Garrus is a good leader, even though we just saw how that's not true. The only reason that they let him get his people killed isn't because the game thinks he's incompetent, it's because the game wants to give him a reason to get revenge for his crew. It doesn't grapple with the fact that Garrus may be inept. It just wants him to be, you know, a badass with a tragic backstory. But every single character in Mass Effect 2 is literally a badass with a tragic backstory. Like, not every single one of them. It's like I'm also so cool, pretty much everybody.
1: Gray. Everybody in this series, uh, like companion character-wise, I think for like, except for like, arguably Tali, Kasumi and Samara are all bad people. So
2: I mean, Tali is really interesting because I think the first game... the first game has one of my favorite bits of morality in any video game, which is, in our universe, unlike an Asimov universe, robots or AI, whenever AI appears, it just ends up hating organic life and trying to destroy it. That's just like a hard rule of Mass Effect 1. And they have multiple quests that prove this. Like the quest where you meet a gambling AI that gains sentience. All it wants to do is try to kill you and go join the Gath, because it hates organic life. That's like a hard rule that's really interesting. And then Mass Effect 2 comes along, it's like everyone's morally gray. Sure, they've mass murdered more people than the Zodiac Killer, but they're also really cool. And there's a tragedy in their past that is why they have to kill people. Every single one. I don't care if it's I don't care if it's Grunt, I don't care if it's Thane or Legion. All of them have a tragic past that makes them really cool. Cause the, that's how the game sees them. That's how the game sees moral grayness. It it never assumes that, you know, maybe this guy's morally grey because he purchased an Xbox that was, you know, made with rare earth minerals that may have been mined, you know, unethically. Whereas this guy's morally gray, because while he did help a kitten out of a tree, he then, you know, shot it. (laughs) Like, it's a scale. Moral moral grayness, moral relativity is a scale. And a friend actually made a a really interesting point, which is that if we argue that every culture has a different opinion, and he's a historian, so he knows this way better than me, and I'm probably butchering this. But it's like if everyone has different levels of morality, like if every single person, you know, if we have to assume moral relativity is a thing, then we're not allowed to, say, criticize our own culture 20 or 30 years ago. You know, we, we can't say Jim Crow was wrong if we accept moral relativity. And I, I don't think any of us. You know, any good person would say, I think all good people would be like, oh, Jim Crow's absolutely evil. And all the people who supported Jim Crow way back in the day were wrong. And, and he's like, so there's your argument against moral relativity. Like, right there. Like, there is no, there is no, it was justified back then. It was never justified. They were just wrong. Um, sorry, I'm rambling. Um, but I, I can bring this back. I can bring this back to gamers. Okay? I, I can do this. <laughs> I can make this make sense. Uh Yes, I've been having a lot of people who are very possessive about a video game character because he is charismatic, because he has scenes where he is supportive and kind to you. I mean, this is one of the reasons people like Half-Life 2. It's a game with absolutely, completely incoherent story. Um, It's got a lot of boring sections in it. It's got scenes that are just way too long. But they love it because the game is constantly like, You're so amazing, player! Everything you do is perfect and good! It's it's, like, just there to make the player feel awesome, constantly. No matter what they do. You know, oh, you're the chosen one in so many video games, right? You know, even in Mass Effect, like, Shepard, the rules don't apply to you because we just trust you to be better than everybody else. And people constantly praise you for how cool and awesome you are. Um, so I think gamers cotton on to that. I think that's the right word. Like, they, they, they kind of really get taken in by that that kind of, of masturbatory process of like i'm such a great person yeah this game makes me feel good about myself um and they never kind of go maybe people who are telling me I'm, a, I'm good aren't good people themselves maybe someone praising me is trying to get me to do things i shouldn't do i mean that's how enablers work that's that's how a lot of like drug addiction in child celebrities happens is you have people who prey upon their desire for validation and then get them hooked so that they can make money off of them you know by being their drug dealer um that's how a lot of abusive relationships work the abuser comes in and says you know hey you can trust me i support you i got your back i'm a really good you know like i'm the only one you can trust cuz they're trying to cut people off from other people while also making them feel good about themselves there's a lot of potentially sinister stuff in praising people but also i mean when I make video games, I try to praise my team pretty consistently because I want to create a healthy and positive working environment with good morale. So you can't just say, oh, this is a really toxic, inherently bad thing to praise players. That's, you can't do that. But you can see how people would form attachment to characters who might say, hey, you're great, while the characters themselves are you know, killing children. And that's why people don't like Anakin, is because Anakin Skywalker never makes them feel good about themselves. He's just kind of annoying and whiny. So when he does crimes, and somebody says, by the way, Anakin does crimes, there's no problem. But when Garrus is, like, sitting there with you, like, at Citadel Station, talking about all the good times you had together, you kind of forget, or at least pretend he never said, by the way, I want to do extrajudicial killings. That's, that's just a process that happens, right? So we see this kind of investment happen in wholesome media. See, I told you I could bring it back. Um <laughs> An example of this is a very popular cartoon called Steven Universe, which I'm I'm sure you've heard of. But like,
1: I used um, to be a pretty avid Steven Universe consumer.
2: Yeah, I I don't, I you know, I don't know who who all is going to end up listening. So I, 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 you know, I, I always try to assume that everybody in an audience that I have at any point, like for an essay or whatever, is an expert in something completely different than what I'm an expert in. So I always try to be like clear with my you know terms and introduction rather than being like. Uh, you know, I'm just going to assume they know everything, uh, not to talk down, but to make sure we're all on the same page, you know, basically. Uh, so please don't, please don't take that. You know, I'm sure you've heard of Steven Universe as like anything, but you know, just yeah, making sure no, people know. Good. Very popular cartoon, often seen super wholesome, right? That's a large component of even the fan base is they talk about how wholesome Steven Universe is. They talk about its healthy relationships, or healthy portrayal of certain relationships. They talk about, you know, how characters are trying to do good, how Steven can often talk through problems, blah 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 blah. I don't have any problems with that. I actually think Steven Universe as a show is generally pretty good. It takes like 26 episodes to actually get going, but once you get to the Mirror Mirror episode, it never lets up. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. it's a good time. And and it's why I ended up kind of going, "Oh wow, I actually really do like this show. It has some really good stuff going on." But at the same time, it has one of the worst fan bases I've ever seen in my entire life. (coughs) A literal artist from that show. Like drew a fan, like, like drew some fan art of the show. Like, like somebody who works there just, you know, on their own dime when they were at home or whatever, like just drew a sketch of like a ship, you know, two characters in a relationship. The fans were upset. They, Drove this person, this sort of wonderful, brilliant creator, off social media. Like, the person deleted their accounts. I can't remember their name um, off the top of my head. But they drove this person off social media just because they were mad that a person who worked on a show they claimed to love, the person, you know, who is responsible for the things they claimed to love, didn't do a thing they liked. They had developed such a sense of ownership over media they consumed. That they hurt another person, like with with actual abuse. that's that's messed up. And then it happened again to a completely different artist. Um, I, I actually hadn't heard about the second one until I mentioned the first one, and then somebody's like, "Yeah, that happened twice." And I was like, "Wait, what? And that's weird, right? Like it's weird to see media that tells us, try to be a good person. And then somehow the fan base doesn't get it, right? And that's what's happening with Garrus, right? Is we have people who are like, Garrus is not a bad person. If he was a bad person, then why did all those people he murdered do crimes beforehand? And it's like, yes, he's killing people without due process. That's what makes him bad. He doesn't believe in due process. It's extrajudicial killings. That's what the problem is. Pro-cop media never portrays its cops as making mistakes. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a show that was often described by people as wholesome. It reinforces repeatedly the belief that cops are good people and that there are just a few bad apples who need to be, you know, kicked out. Like, when Terry Crews gets approached by a racist cop who does not recognize that he is a police officer... The cop does racism and uses his position as a racist cop to do racism. And then the rest of the show is like dealing with, you know, how humiliating and awful that is, but never going, This is actually endemic to police. This is a common occurrence. Like it never says that. What it is like, this is just one random bad dude who, you know, is is really bad. But police aren't really like that. They're actually a wholesome, you know, tight knit family of good people who all want the best and really quirky and funny. And it's a comedy, so it can do that. But that's how cop like pro cop media works, and, and people will buy into that. They'll say, "Oh, well, this you know, because I like these characters, the show is good," or or at least because I like the characters, the characters are good people, and I'm not going to question the things they do, because it it's it's easier to connect with that, right? The problem is, I think, quote unquote, wholesome media implies a kind of morality so when somebody connects deeply with a show that claims to be wholesome because the word itself is literally about positive moral vibes um you you end up with people who start saying this thing doesn't make me happy it doesn't give me good vibes and therefore it's immoral it's unwholesome So when people like Steven Universe is a good show and I love it because it makes me feel good and then an artist makes something that doesn't make them feel good, they don't just perceive it as being like just a difference of like opinion or whatever. They literally see it as an attack on their comfort. And if it is, then the person doing it is evil and must be like gotten rid of, expunged, expelled because that person is attacking them. Because they've been made to feel uncomfortable. And when something makes them uncomfortable, they see that as a moral wrong. It's an it's a attack on them. Like, literally, it's unwholesome. Because it's not within that box of what they think the wholesome thing is. It's outside the wholesome box. Once something becomes outside the wholesome box, it's unwholesome. Therefore, it's evil. Therefore, no one cares about what happens to it because it's bad. And, and as a disabled person, I know this is a huge pivot. But as a disabled person, I've actually had this happen to me firsthand. Um, I was incredibly sick, and I had to go to a hospital three days a week for like uh, for these these treatments um, on my brain to make the electrical system work right because I was having problems with the electronics in my brain, basically. Um, not really electronics, but you know, humans are biochemical. Um, To get my brain back in order required a very exhausted process that required me to go home and collapse in bed and sleep. There were some people I was staying with, um, because it was a hospital three hours from my house, these people I was staying with, extended family, who sort of took issue with that um, because my weird hours were inconvenient to them. And as a result, they began interpreting what happened is me doing a really intensive thing and coming home and collapsing and falling asleep and then waking up at weird hours, they interpret that as sort of this like attack on them just trying to be normal, basically. Um, And I've seen this a lot with disabled people. Uh, you know, you'll see somebody in a wheelchair and somebody will, like, roll their eyes because, oh, this wheelchair is super inconvenient to me. I can't fit in the elevator now. I have to wait for the next elevator. I'm going to be late. So this person suddenly, like, this person who's in a wheelchair, his life already kind of sucks because wheelchairs are hard to wheel around. I discovered this at PAX because I hit a point where I was too exhausted to walk and ended up having to have a wheelchair. Wheelchairs are really hard, <laughs> uh, to just used. They're very clumsy and, and awkward. I'm sure if I spent time getting skilled at it, it'd be better, but it's not a pleasant experience. But people will perceive a person who's in need of assistance as inconveniencing them. So we have this kind of repeated human process. I know I'm kind of rambling all over the place, but we, we have this thing that happens consistently where somebody says, I'm a good person. The things that I like are good. If something contradicts what I like, that is an attack on me. And this is reinforced when they think what they like is morally good. And anything that doesn't fit in that box of what I like is morally bad. They end up going, so this shouldn't exist. So for me, the term wholesome is laden with sort of even if it's not intentionally directly used to cause trouble for people a whole lot of people end up creating an in-group out-group based on well i consume the wholesome media and i like it or well i don't consume the wholesome media so i don't like it you know like you know oh this person doesn't make wholesome games wow they're making unwholesome games somebody should put a stop to that It. It's a language thing. I, I don't know how to explain Like Language affects the way our brains work at times. you know. If you just assume, by definition, anything not within the Wholesome Games label is unwholesome, you're really limiting what people can do and say. One of the best movies i ever watched wouldn't fit in the Wholesome Games label at all um, because it's about how a bunch of football players in Argentina were imprisoned. Uh, and beaten by a fascist government. So it's got a lot of really problematic imagery. It's also a true story. And it's a story about people being resilient. It's called uh, Chronicle of an Escape. That's the English title. It's a really good action movie. It's a fantastic thriller. It's a true story. And it's, it's really, really, really good. And... I think if I see people who go, oh, well, you know, this can't be good because this is not, you know, basically cozy, soft, uh, you know, happy time only low stress might be a problem with that. Like maybe media that's good for us that is actually morally good can be stressful. Maybe that media can be high stakes. I, I don't, I don't actually think there's a problem with any of the criteria they listed. I I did see some some people uh who are marginalized and you know I'm I'm disabled that's a kind of marginalization but I'm I'm not going to get into that but I will say that I saw other people who were marginalized saying they felt like maybe they were being used by white people <laughs> with with uh, one of the criteria I can't remember the exact text of it but it was like you know Marginalized people should be depicted in a certain way, and they were like, this doesn't seem like marginalized people were consulted on including that as a specific uh, criteria, because it doesn't – it might imply that, say, we can't be self-critical of ourselves. But that's not – like, I don't want to speak for people – I don't want to speak over people. I, I just, like, that's a criticism that I heard from people who I trust. Uh, and so I think there are a lot of... How do I put this? I think there's a lot of desire for goodwill. Or, or not for goodwill, but, like, there's, there's a desire to do a good thing here. I don't think the people who want to make wholesome games are trying to do a bad thing. I think there are ways the bad things can happen as a result of claiming one specific style of game is wholesome. And I think that a lot more people should have been consulted maybe on what this criteria is. I think what they, what they wanted with their criteria, like if we were to use a different term, was maybe like non-challenging games or peaceful games or something like that. Because the kind of games that seem to fit in their criteria are peaceful games, right? Like they're not... You know, low stakes, uh, you know, non-challenging type games that kind of I, I don't remember the exact criteria and I don't have it in front of me. I'm sorry. But uh, here I have it. Play- Oh, do it. Uh, OK, perfect.
1: Yeah, it was low stakes, low stress, low violence, uplifting themes and thoughtful representation of marginalized groups.
2: Thoughtful representation is good uh from you know what it sounds like. That that sounds like something that I would come up with if you asked me, you know, what I would do. I just remember a couple of friends being like, that seems weird. Were we a consultant on it? Like, I don't know. But I i hear that list and it's like there's nothing there that I could or would even want to object to, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like it's more labeling it wholesome games puts it on a pedestal or, or creates a gatekeeping process that could and has in my experience led to people doing very unwholesome activities like, you know, abusing a artist off a show that's about wholesome themes because people felt that their comfort mattered more than people loving the show in a way that was different than they did. Like it's just wrong to say, "Oh, you can't draw a ship that I don't approve of." Just like it's wrong for you know, that? did you see that meme of that person being like, oh, you can't have this uh, character from, what was that game? Animal Crossing. They're like, you shouldn't have this character and you need to give him to me because he's my comfort character. That's weird. That's kind of abusive. I want your toy because it would make me happy. That's that's not good. You know? Yeah, it, it's, it's
1: a weird attitude for sure. It,
2: it's controlling an abusive behavior a- operating under the guise of self-comfort. And it's a thing that keeps happening in communities that are ostensibly very wholesome. And I could get into all sorts of other weird stuff, like, you know, hey, uh, a lot of forums among where people, like, focus on how wholesome their community is, kind of have toxic elements. Um... People are criticizing me, my brother, my brother, and me guys who who have often been cited as being very wholesome because they don't allow any criticism under the guise of sort of negative vibes. So there were some people pointing out that maybe some of the stuff they did in regards to representation were actually offensive to the people being represented and like very white guy version of what good representation might be without actually you know learning. And and when they tried to bring up these criticisms, like they were basically getting shut down because no bad, bad vibes here. And so there was not an opportunity for people to learn from it and, and try to be more sensitive to people who they were affecting. Because they were using, you know, oh, we're just good vibes as a way of avoiding criticism. Which is a, a pretty common thing. Like, like, you know, someone will be, like, with back on the Garrus topic, right? Just because it's funny to me. I got people who are telling me that Garrus is a good person because he wants to do the right thing. Like he said, I got into c to help people. Therefore, it's OK that he murders people. It's like, one doesn't follow the other, right? We're not, <sighs> because you want to do something doesn't mean you did it in the right way. That's why I did the Anakin Skywalker tweet that I did a few, like, last week. You know, opposing the uh, opposing the idea of child soldiers is wrong using your lightsaber to kill a bunch of child soldiers is probably not good with the order 66 thing where anakin goes in and kills children um you know it's just because you are you have the right idea doesn't mean you have the doesn't mean you're doing something in the right way again i don't actually think there's anything wrong with the list they posted based on my own understanding as a white dude and even as a disabled person, I don't necessarily object to like thoughtful representation. I would like to be thoughtfully represented. Uh, but you know, I also don't want to. I want to make sure I never try to speak for like everybody, right? I can only speak for me. And if I were to speak over other people, I, I think that would be wrong of me to do. You know, say, oh well, I find it fine. So this other person who's hurt by it, they don't, they don't matter. Like that would be wrong. All I could say is. For my own sake, I think it sounds good. But it's attached to wholesome, which gets back to that, you know, bunch of people getting super, super mad because something isn't exactly 100% comfortable to them. And as soon as they have any slight bit of discomfort, they view it as an attack. So I personally would probably go with a different kind of game. Like, I, I might say cozy games, because I think if we say cozy games is a genre then we expect all aspects of the game to be cozy, which is different than a game with cozy elements, like Dark Souls, a game that I personally struggle to play because of my disability. Um, I get really bad muscle spasms, um, and so it's really hard to play that for very long. Uh, but other people are like, yeah, after I get through a really hard fight, and then I sit down at that bonfire, and I, I get to kind of sit back and go, that was a challenge. To them, that's really cozy, but I don't think if we I think if we create a genre called cozy games, we're not saying that games with cozy elements aren't cozy. We're just saying that parts of them are cozy, and parts of them are when you're fighting a giant monster with tentacles. And that's fine. Sorry for my extremely long rambling. Um, no, <laughs> you're I, good. All, I think it, that
1: all I mean, I think that all like wraps kind of wraps everything that you've been saying kind of up. Well,
2: you know, yeah, it's, you know, if I was really going to, you know, cut there's that Mark Twain quote, which is like, sorry, this letter is really long. I didn't have time to write less. Um, you know, I, I, if I was going to take all these thoughts, these, you know, trying to show my work, prove my reasoning, all that. Right. And I'm just rambling and trying to work it out for myself, too. Right. If I take all of that, I compress it all the way down. It's that ascribing a moral to a specific genre can lead to unintended consequences and can cause people to seek something that maybe isn't there based on their subjective interpretation of like what moral is. Like If somebody, if somebody thinks that to be moral is to be pro-cop, and then they see a work that claims to be Moral, but is anti cop, they might get really upset and they might engage in activities that we would all consider to be immoral actions, like abusing somebody on Twitter, um, which is, you know, really minor in the grand scheme of things, but you get the idea. It's, they might be impolite. That's not cool. Um, and it can get all the way up to like you know driving people off social media, or stalking people, or sending them horrible messages, or you know trying to get them fired. Which happened to a game critic who was you know just wrote a negative review about a game once. All these uh, Last of Us Two fans who hadn't played the game were suddenly like, "Oh yeah, this person should be fired because he said this game is bad." And it's just because they were assuming the game would be good. So they th- they were assuming the game would be a g- good things. Now there are people who are mad because they think the bad guy in that game is a good person because she has good times with people that are cozy. Which is, again, one of those other things. Like, when Gareth spends time with you with a sniper rifle, you might forget about the time he wanted to kill people without, you know, due process. And in The Last of Us 2 here comes Ellie, oh, she's a great mom because she takes care of a baby and that's cool. In the next scene, she abandons the baby to go on a quest of revenge that is ultimately pointless. That the creator of the game literally was like, hey, my name's Neil Druckmann and I think that uh, violence is bad and that hatred is a really powerful but deeply wrong emotion to feel. And then he creates a character who does that and loses everything as a result. And people are like, I don't want, I don't want her to have done that. She did nothing wrong. She's the victim and all this. And you know, the guy writing the game is literally like, yeah, uh, abandoning your family to go do murder is, is a mistake. <laughs> because people connect with that. Because they, they find coziness and warmth in that. Then suddenly they'd want to hurt anybody who tries to, in their minds, take it away from them. Even when the text of the game itself is literally, this person's bad rambling again i didn't summarize it did i i just kind of no i think
1: you did and i think it comes like one of the other points that like i feel like ties into this tangentially more is just like i think people need to be more comfortable with the fact that like you can and probably do like people who either aren't good or have made like not good choices oh yeah like that's just something like it it doesn't mean you excuse it, but, like, exactly. you can find yeah. those people, like, cool or charming or whatever and also be like, Mm, but that was not great what they did.
2: Right, right. I mean, you know, sometimes you get media where the bad guy becomes the good guy, right? Like, uh, the Fast and Furious series. Everybody seems to love those movies. They, you know, make a billion dollars because they have a very diverse and cool cast. They also have a tendency of making the bad guy, who's incredibly charismatic and well cast, a friend in the next series. They kind of just forgive all the war crimes and murders they did and remove all the consequence because they're like, oh this character's really fun, we should bring him in. And you know what? No one cares. The movies are awesome. Don't look it up, but the guy who directed the first movie did an unforgivable crime. Okay? It's one of those things that some people are really comfortable looking up. Um like Some people will go read the Wikipedia article about the guy, and they'll be like, holy shit, that's really messed up. But it won't mess with him. But, like, it was bad enough that I just want to, like, if you look it up, understand it was really bad. I think the director of that movie should probably go to jail for the rest of his life. Throw away the key. And he somehow launched a series of incredibly positive, fun, cool movies. He also doesn't direct or write any of the movies. So there's that attachment there, right? He did a really, really bad thing, but that doesn't really, I don't think, take away from your ability to enjoy Fast Five, which he wasn't a part of at all, right? Um, you know, at the same time, there's a band I really like listening to where a guy committed uh, basically the exact same crime. And uh, he's in jail, I think, for the rest of his life. And I can't listen to that band anymore. Because every time I hear his voice, all I think about is the crime he committed. And I can't have a good time listening to that music without thinking about that. But if somebody else is like, well, I can still listen to music and it doesn't bother me none, that's fine. I loved the movie Chinatown, and then I found out that Roman Polanski did really horrible stuff. But I can still enjoy Chinatown because Robert Town wrote a great movie and Jack Nicholson acted a great part. I am cognizant that a bad thing happened, but it doesn't turn into me like endorsing Roman Polanski. It doesn't turn into, you know, making the world a worse place. It's just here was a movie that was personally really affecting to me. And after I gained new information, it did not change the fact that the work affected me. And even then, outside of like genuinely wrong stuff, like I I tweeted this a couple of times today, but it's like, All my friends who were like, yeah, but I still think he's hot about Garrus, all of them are valid. Every single one of those people is completely valid. If you think Garrus is hot, that's cool. Because I know friends who think Garrus is hot, but are also, in real life, ardent anti-cop people. They have the right politics in real life. It's okay to like fictional characters who are shitty. It's okay. It's fine. Like. It doesn't make the world a worse place. It doesn't cause anyone harm. You enjoy a fictional character. That's okay. I mean, you know, when I was a teen, I thought, like, Jesse from Team Rocket was hot. She's stealing pets. That's terrible. It's okay.
1: Well, I feel like it's also just something that comes with, there's a difference between, right, like, the blind, just, like, serial killer fandom, ooh-woo shit, and just being like, Mm -hmm. like, I, going back to Mass Effect, I love Morinth. Morinth is a serial Mm -hmm. killer. But I would and have in the game let her fuck me to death.
2: And that's totally cool. I mean, in real life, maybe not. But, you know, in the game, sure. She's fictional. It's a safe place. Like, fiction is a way for us to do things we might not do in real life or to deal with things we haven't yet experienced in real life. Or in some cases, deal with things we have experienced in real life but don't know how to deal with. I watched a stupid television show called Castle, which is about a writer who helps cops solve crimes. Look, again, I already did the all cops are bastards thing, but like cops are bad, but you know what? I knew a serial killer in real life. His name was uh, Dennis and he was our local dog catcher. Uh, Most people know him as the BTK killer. If you watch the Netflix show about the, the guy from like the power company or whatever, who was using his uniform to kind of get into places and kill people. It's that guy. Like, Dennis killed 10 people that we know of over 30 years. Um, My dad disputes this, but I recall pretty distinctly bringing him a glass of, like, water or lemonade in the summer when it was really hot outside. Um, Because he dropped by our house and said, uh, you know, hey, I'm really sorry about this, but uh, some neighbors are, like, uh, um, saying that you're abusing your pets. And I just have to check in. I already did. Your pets are fine. Uh, it's very clear that whoever's doing it, it's just a prank call or something like. Don't worry about it, but you know, you know, here I am. Um, my recollection, and again, like my dad disputes this. He he insists that that Dennis only ever dropped by one time, but I I believe he dropped by like at least three times. Um, my recollection is that Dennis used his uniform as a way to get into our house, and it's. It was weird talking with my dad about this more recently because he was, like, disputing all this, but my my dad told me back then that the cops told him that Dennis was probably targeting our family for murder. Um. When I watched the 3XK episode of Castle, which is based on BTK, I had a very powerful panic attack. And then... It was gone, and I was, like, at peace. It was like, oh, I have now dealt with this emotionally. Watching a stupid TV show about some cops taking care of the guy that in real life had caused me some degree of duress, like, without even me realizing it after he'd been caught, like, realizing how close it might have been, watching that show helped me get through this. So even though the show's about cops, that thing still helped me. That's still valid. That's still meaningful, right? So I think it's OK to enjoy media and embrace media that has elements we don't like. The only thing that would be, really be wrong of us is if we use those elements to justify doing the wrong thing. Uh, Anton Scalia used to be on the Supreme Court. He's been dead a few years. Uh, he got really mad at a Canadian judge for pointing out how messed up Jack Bauer is from the Series 24. And he started defending Jack Bauer. And then he started defending torture. Because the guy was, they were, it was a panel about torture. And the guy was like, you know, I'm really glad that Jack Bauer isn't real because torture's really messed up. And Scalia was like, basically, how dare you, sir? Jack Bauer, you know, tortured a man to save the people of Los Angeles, so torture in real life is okay. And it's like, dude, Jack Bauer's fake. He's an actor. Played by a guy named Kiefer Sutherland. He was written by, that episode in particular was written by two different people who sat down and like with Final Cut Pro, a software on their laptops, would have typed up a whole episode. And then a lot of people pretended that a nuclear bomb went off when it didn't. None of that is real. Torture, like all the science says torture bad. So sometimes you have people who look at fiction and they go, yeah, this justifies doing bad things in the real world, and that's messed up. But that doesn't mean 24 as a show should be like removed no one's saying we need to cancel the creators of 24 because of torture. Like, yeah, torture bad. Yeah, some people take the wrong lessons from this. No, that doesn't mean that we need to ban media that we can, as healthy adults, consume and appreciate. I love the tension of 24. I do not advocate torture because I'm a, a adult with a brain. So, you know, I don't know. It's okay to, like like you were saying, it's okay to, like recognize that not everything we consume is completely 100% ideological ideologically pure you know when i make work i don't i don't put ideological impurities into my work i'm doing my best to present a world as i understand it to be and as a human being i'm probably wrong about something i could either be forgetting or there's just information i don't have or lived experience i don't have um it could be time constraints in the script a million different things could happen that could lead to my work not being perfect but that's that's because the human made it we're as long as we're doing our best there's no reason to you know shit on the people doing it when I play Mass Effect and I see, oh, hey, the Asari, uh, in their maiden years, they all go to strip clubs. I, like, raise an eyebrow and I'm like, okay, what was the motive for writing that? When the very first conversation you have with Liara is her basically going, don't worry about child support. My species is just like this. It's like, that's really forward of you. Why are we doing this? Like, like, there are times when things make you squicky or, or, or feel squicky, I mean, or, or make you feel uncomfortable. And it's okay to ask questions about it, but that's a very long leap from, oh, this might be really bad, actually. But when you say this thing is inherently moral, you create a defense for, you can't criticize this because it's, it's wholesome, so it's morally good, so if you're criticizing it, you're just wrong and probably bad, or, you know, anything outside of that suddenly becomes morally bad. Like, like, there's just a lot of baggage that comes with that term, and I think we could solve all of it just by calling them cozy games. Literally all of it. Just a name change. Because that's how human brains work. There are people who say that, uh, you know, RPGs have to have characters playing a role, or they're not true rpgs it's like that's not what roleplay means that's not where it comes from that's not the purpose or history of the game like some people use definitions to define the thing rather than trying to use definitions to refer to the thing like if i say tree you know what a tree means because you and i both have that sort of common linguistic parallel right But sometimes you have people who are like, trees are green. And then they go look at like a bucket of lime ice cream, and they're like, tree, because it's green. That's what a tree is. Because they just fit everything in the definition. They don't think of the word as a a signifier, but a a definer. Um, and, And I feel like wholesome encourages people to see things definitionally, whereas cozy is a descriptor. And I think we want a descriptor rather than a definer. sorry that was
1: was so much no i think that's like i think that's a really good way to like end on it i think that's yeah i like that um sweet do you want to plug your
2: socials and stuff before we wrap up yeah um you can find me on at doc squiddy on uh on twitter um I'm around other places. Docsuse.medium.com is where I, I write my really long stuff, like 13,000 words on why Death Stranding uh, made me cry. Um, but uh, beyond that, um, mischief.games is the website that has all the links to uh, Audios and where you can buy it. Uh, it costs you know, less than like your average takeout, but all of those sales allow me to make another game. I worked really hard on audios to make sure that my team was, you know, as supported and as stable as it could. Because I've I've worked in, you know, things like retail where you don't get treated good, and I wanted to make sure everybody on the team was was treated like humanely and encouraged people. And you know, the end result was that a lot of people who worked on the game were like, "Oh, I'd love to work together again," which is to me the sign of a successful workplace. So when you support the game you aren't just getting a game that might make you cry. Uh you're supporting a work a workplace where I am I'm doing my absolute best to try to make games healthier and and you know, more more better, gooder, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the word is. Like I'm doing my best. And you know, I know 18 could seem like a lot, but it is less than takeout and it will last you longer than the meal and it will probably make you cry, which is awesome. Um and you know, Ultimately, all that money is what we need to help us make this brand new game, which is about a guy with a dog for a head uh, who is uh, trying to be a good person, but God has decided he must die.
0: (laughs) Okay. Hello and welcome back. We hope you enjoyed that interview between Ty and Doc. Once again, you can find Doc over at DocSquiddy on Twitter. The next interview we have is also with a game developer. Uh, Her name is Aniko, and she is the founder, and she also runs the LGBTQ game studio Kitsune Games. Now, you might know Kitsune Games from titles such as Lorefinder, MidBoss, Ultra Hat Dimension. Um, They are also working on Kitsune Tales right now, which is inspired by by mario games it's like a a really cool uh side-scrolling platformer and while you might be looking at the time right now and thinking oh wow this one this interview is a lot shorter than the previous one it's short and sweet and i think you're really going to like it so without any further ado here is my interview with eniko thanks for listening and hope you enjoy
3: um my name is emma eniko mawson uh, I am the founder and president of Kitsune Games. Uh, we've been making indie games for the last eight years, um, and we're a very inclusive studio and have a lot of um, queer elements to our games and queer people with working with us. We've produced um, Ultra Hat Dimension, Mid Boss, Super Bernie World, and we're working on Lorefinder and Kitsune Tales.
0: Perfect. And can you kind of tell me a little bit about what led you to, to found the studio?
3: Um,
0: well, I've been like,
3: I grew up with computers because my dad was one of like the earliest programmers, um, like Mm -hmm. punch cards and everything. Um, so I've always like played games and wanted to make games and, you know, I've, I've been programming for decades. So Eventually, um, while I was in college, I decided, well, I'm just going to have a go of this um, indie game development thing. Uh, and our first big game, uh, the first game we released was Ultra Hat, and then our first big game release was uh, MidBoss. And I guess the, the reason why I got into indie game development is mostly just because I wanted to make games but the way that Kitsune Games is structured is because um, I'm queer myself, and, you know, as a queer woman and and founder of the studio, I really wanted to, like... That came a little later, but I really wanted to, you know, have good representation in our games and make them inclusive and accessible.
0: Absolutely. Oh, that makes complete sense. Um, and then the conversation that we're, we're bringing you on today to have with us is the one about wholesome games. There's been a lot of discourse lately revolving around wholesome games and kind of what wholesome entails and, and like the nuances there. So the first thing I wanted to ask you in regards to that is what is your experience with or perception of the wholesome games movement? Um, like we're, we're not like, we mostly at Kitsune
3: Games do our own thing very much. Um, so I don't know if the Wholesome Games community, is that a thing? If, if
0: they would... Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Oh, no, I was going to say, so there is, so there's Wholesome Games proper, which is the, who organizes basically the showcases. And they do have a Wholesome Games community. Um, and so I suppose I should clarify... I more mean the idea of like cozy games or wholesome games, yeah, um, and kind of like the popularity of those in the last I don't know probably decade or so. Um, I guess that that really, um,
3: like the the idea to make cozy games really comes from a personal uh, place for me. Like I was, um, in in my late teens when nine eleven happened. And afterwards, like, media just just got all grimdark all the time, all of it. And after about a decade or so, I got, like, really sick of it. And, you know, now with the pandemic, it's kind of a similar thing. And I can't personally stomach darker material all that well, um, especially, you know, last year um, and this year. And that's why I don't really want to... Like, make that kind of content. I just want to make something relaxing and low stress and uncomplicated. Not necessarily in terms of mechanics, but I don't want people to feel like that kind of stress that they feel when you consume like media that's more challenging or dark.
0: No, I completely understand that. Um, and so then I wanted to move on to. This, I the kind of, I guess what sparked this conversation was a list came out of the five things that make a game a wholesome game, is it, kind of how, how it was framed. Um, and the five things on that list were uh, low stakes, low stress, low violence, uplifting themes, and thoughtful representation of marginalized groups. And I wanted to kind of see how you felt about those those five items on that list.
3: Yeah, I I saw that list. Um I think it's actually a pretty good list. I mean, I I I didn't look too much at the discourse about it because um well, I I I, I saw a little bit of the discourse and then I muted it because it was making me <laughs> angry on Twitter and I'm like that's not constructive. Um but I think some of the discourse was about that those items were too general and that they are either too inclusive or exclusive, but I think that's fine. It's just, like, a guideline less than, like, a rule. Like, mm-hmm. we're making Kitsune Tales, and that I think that's definitely a wholesome game. Um, but mechanically, there are some stress points, like, um, it's, it's a Mario-style platformer, so it does have some challenging aspects to it mechanically. Um, It does have some violence because, you know, you you stomp things and then they, you know, fall off screen, quote unquote dead. But I don't think that necessarily disqualifies it from counting as a wholesome game, if that makes sense. Like, I think Mm -hmm. because the the major focus of the story of Kitsune Tales is this relationship between the main character, uh, Yuzu, and this... um, village healer called Akko, and they're both, you know, women, so it's a queer relationship, and we definitely wanted to make the story aspect of it very low stakes and kind of chill and not delve into, like, you know, discrimination and that sort of stuff, and the aesthetic of it is very cozy, and we're going to, like, have systems that will make that will take some of the sting out of like the mechanical difficulty. So we're, we're planning to have like an assist mode, kind of like Celeste. We're Mm -hmm. planning to have like the ability to buy items that will help you kind of like the inventory in Super Mario 3. Um, Mm -hmm. So even if you struggle with the game, you can still play it in a very low stakes and low stress way. And I think that definitely qualifies it. So I think it's more like a, a guideline to try and figure out if you if you're unsure if your game is wholesome whether or not it would fit rather than you know dictating whether or not a game is wholesome if that
0: makes sense mm-hmm. yeah absolutely that makes perfect sense and that's very similar we had james from wholesome games come on it's very similar to what he said um so you said that the discourse started making you angry on Twitter. What about it was getting to you, if you don't mind talking a little bit about it? um, There were a lot of blanket statements that were basically like,
3: like the biggest angle that I saw was, you know, Wholesome Games is an aesthetic that has been co-opted by large studios and corporations and they're using it to sanitize um anti, anti-queer themes and they're anti, you know, sex. And like that was the biggest thing where they're like where a lot of creators are like, Well, I make queer content and it's dark and it's raw and it's you know explicit and wholesome games is like this corporate version that's meant to sanitize all that and I'm like well you you know that there are lots of creators making wholesome games that are queer that are sex positive that don't want to sanitize anything but that just want to give you know people who don't usually get rep- get to see them represented in games a good time without having to sit through all the rawness because not everyone wants that and not everyone wants that all the time so that that's mm-hmm. the part that made me angry that they were basically implying that other queer creators that were not creating content like they were were complicit in the erasure of queer creators and I'm like well that's that's not really
0: fair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think that maybe you know because I I guess they were first kind of referred to as like cozy games. And I, I know you've used the term cozy a lot when talking about, you know, the aesthetics of your game um, and kind of what you go for it. Do you think that we would be better off using a term like cozy? Do you think that wholesome maybe comes with like negative connotations that maybe I'll, like make people think it's like this this purity policing type thing? Um,
3: I, I, I don't agree with that. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. a very prescriptivist way to come at it, like a sort of rough genre name. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm a descriptivist myself, so I think that you can just, you know, use the words that encompass all of these games and, you know, use that as a separate contact, context, like separate from the etymology of wholesome and some of its mm-hmm. more niche connotations, if that makes sense. So I, I don't think that we necessarily need to switch. On the other hand, I wouldn't really care if people were like, okay, we're not calling them... Co- wholesome games we're calling them cozy games now but i don't think that like fixes any problems that anyone Mm -hmm. may have with it if that makes sense
0: yeah oh yeah absolutely it's it's one of those things i had seen some people suggest like ah well maybe it's the word maybe it's the word so kind of wanted to gauge your feelings on that um but no that that all makes perfect sense and um i'm really glad to have your insight are are there any other thoughts that you had regarding this that you wanted to share or any other frustrations you had? Um, well,
3: it's mostly that like lots of Indies are making like cozy or wholesome games because it's, it's a rough time and people deal with, you know, rough times differently. Like it's been a rough couple of decades basically. And people deal mm-hmm. with that differently. And some people, really need to, like, revel in the rawness and really need to sit with that. And I think that's great. I think that there's definitely, you know, a market for games like that, and I think they're very important, and I think they should continue to be made. But I don't think that they should be put into opposition with wholesome or cozy games that are not as challenging, because not everyone... Can handle challenging media right now and you need all kinds and i think if if we're so quick to say well the this belongs to the corporations now then we all stand to miss out
0: Hmm. no i think that's a very good point and a very good way to summarize everything okay awesome cool well then Eniko, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this conversation. And that does it for this episode of Palin Around. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, we do have another one coming with two more interviews. And you should be seeing that one in the next couple days. Um, You know how editing goes. Should be the next couple of days though. And we're really excited for it. Just to recap, that first episode you listened to was with guest Doc, who you can find on Twitter at DocSquiddy, and the second interview was with Aniko, who you can find at Anychan over on Twitter as well. And you can find me over at a wild AwildJustTheChew on Twitter and Instagram. Powin Around is a product of Uppercut, which you can find on all social media at UppercutCrit and UppercutCrit.com. If you'd like to hang out with the Uppercut crew, feel free to join our Discord. As always, the link is in the episode description. And if you like the show, be sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us a ton. If you just can't get enough of the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash uppercut crit and toss a couple of bucks our way to get it early. Or you can even get your name read right at the end, just like these folks here. Alex Belling, Katie Merrer, Brian Hutchings, Cody Peters, Darren, Ashley Lee, Hana Kim, Jordan Ramy, Dale, Adam Manahan, Wheels, Jesse Vitelli, Eric Sapp, GameCrash.co.uk, Adept7777, Optional Objectives, Kenneth Shepard, Lucas Lyon, Eli Berg-Moss, Jason Coles, Adrian Arock-Williams, Matthew Flowers, Andrew Sherman, Colton Crow, Jesse Peterson, Jared Shue, D.J. Kento, Cam Koenig, Quentin Hoffman, and Mikey Phillips. Thank you all so much for your generosity, and thank you, listener, for palling around with us. Bye.